The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I don't like your attitude. Uh, the defense is wrong. Don't think that guy just says, thank you. Chris Sims, Mike Florio, PFTOT. Things we did not get to during today's PFT Live. Also, the audio ends up on the PFTPM podcast feed. We'll have an interview that I taped yesterday with Bills receiver Cole Beasley. We'll end the Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day it is. It's Wednesday. It feels like Tuesday because Chris Sims played hooky on Tuesday. He's back on Wednesday. That That's how I cover for my blunder. I blame it on you. Uh, Cole Beasley later in the program to wrap the PFTPM slash PFTOT. Let's start, Chris. You've been quiet today. Let's start with Jacoby Brissett. He's relieved by the MRI results that came on Monday. He has a shot at playing this week for the Colts against the Dolphins, and they can't let their guard down against the Dolphins because the Colts play down to the level of whoever they're playing. They need Jacoby Brissett. Even though Brian Hoyer is a capable backup, there's a gap between Hoyer and Brissett. They need Brissett healthy and out on the field. And the, the chances of winning the game go down if Brissett isn't available. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, this is something they'll have to gauge throughout the week. Jacoby Brissett's played phenomenal. I mean, I, I have a hard time, again, thinking that they lose that game the other day in Pittsburgh if Jacoby Brissett's in there. I don't think he makes that mistake of that pick six down in the end zone that Brian Hoyer made. Uh, having said that, you know, they're going to have to kind of gauge it, though, because it is one of those things where, okay, you're, you are better than the Miami Dolphins. You're right. They do kind of play down to their competition. But I would like to think that they could win a game against the Dolphins regardless, uh, whether and play behind that offensive line and run the ball and have maybe a little bit more of a game plan like we saw them have against the Kansas City Chiefs just to protect maybe Brian Hoyer to a degree. So, you know, hey, if he's around 90% or better – then play him. But if you feel like it's in the 75 to 80 range, I would sit him out one more week just having the big picture of the whole season in my mind. And the other reality is the Dolphins are ripe to be beaten because they may have guys on that team are thinking, hey, we got our win. We can coast for the rest of the month. Off the We're gas good to go. Though, right. we, yeah. we don't have to worry about 0-16. That's one of the things Brian Flores, the coach of the team, is actually concerned about, and he's already talked to them about it. But I think the Dolphins have shown that they can play well and even though they only have one win, and the Colts have shown they can play just poorly enough to barely beat bad teams. The Eagles have been better than they've been bad so far this year, although they didn't look so good a few weeks ago. One of the reasons they've struggled, they haven't had Deshaun Jackson, who was available week one, had 150-plus receiving yards and a pair of touchdowns in a come-from-behind win over Washington, and now Jackson on injured reserve after undergoing core muscle surgery. The problem came up in week two. It or actually coming out of week one, I believe, is when it first emerged. But the bottom line is he should have had surgery a long time ago. He didn't. And now uh, he's not going to be available to the Eagles for the rest of the season, Chris. And this really keeps the offense from being as good as it can be. It really does. This is a huge blow to this football team. Uh, it, it is. And, you know, that's the first thing, like, Mike, what you talked about, it's the first thing I thought of. Like, 
Why did, why did we not just have surgery from the get-go? And, you know, of course, that's easy for us to say as we sit here and we don't know all the details and things like that. But, man, for as long as he was out, uh, they could have had surgery from the get-go and he'd be coming back healthy right now, ready to go. Uh, instead, we've wasted the whole year without Deshaun Jackson, and I am worried about them. You know, their team, you know, everyone wants to look at Carson Wentz all the time, and I want to go, well, who else? There's nobody to be scared of in that passing game. You know, I mean, I know Zach Ertz is good. Yeah, he's great for a seven-yard completion over the middle of the field. He doesn't make any yards after the catch. He doesn't have, like, a physical aspect to his game where, he, like, he breaks tackles or runs down the middle and people bounce off him. Alshon Jeffrey's a real big target, but not a guy, again, where defenses are, like, finagling their game plan going, oh, my gosh, if we don't double Alshon Jeffrey, we won't survive today. Uh, they're just nothing to be scared of. And this is, I think, going to put more pressure on that Eagles run game to where they're going to have to continue to run the ball to help the passing game out. And hopefully they can do that because they have the pieces to do it. Yeah, and look, when it comes to surgery, I don't think anybody should want it. And you should only do it if it's a last chance type of a thing to fix a problem. But it's unfortunate for the Eagles that this wasn't something that Deshaun Jackson did earlier this year. He'd be healthy. He'd be back. He'd be good to go. And and I'm all for trying to come up with some other way to fix a problem. But, man, I tell you what, if you, if you want to be on the field and you know your career is getting closer to the end, far closer to the end than the beginning, and you've got a surgical option that's going to get you back in six weeks and this non-surgical thing, well, maybe it'll work, maybe it'll, it won't. At some point, you just, got to, you just got to say do it. And I understand there's risk. You can get complications and infections, and, and we get desensitized to what it means to go through surgery and to recover from it. But it's unfortunate that, that, that it happened this way for the Eagles because – uh, Deshaun Jackson added something to that offense and now they don't have it. And Chris, it's not like they can go out and find somebody. The trade deadline's over. They yeah. can't do anything other than sign Antonio Brown, who probably would be put on the commissioner exempt list right away. What can you really do at this point if you're the Eagles to get a deep threat into your offense? No, I, that that's where I get into like, you're right. I mean, Max Hollins has a little speed, uh, but you're, there is that, not that aspect to take the pressure off. Oh, here, here's a big chunk play in the pass game, so we don't always have to go 11 plays, 80 yards to score a touchdown. You know, the Eagles always have to do that. They can never just go like three plays, 80 yards for a touchdown. But I, I do think the biggest thing for them going forward is they have a gigantic, physical, powerful offensive line. And the year they went to the Super Bowl, that was the thing they did best, was they ran downhill and just steamrolled teams. And they've done it a little the last two weeks to give me hope to go, okay, they've realized that. But, hey, Kelsey and Brooks and, you know, Suamolo and, uh, of course, Jason Peters or Dillard at left tackle. And then Lane Johnson. I mean, come on, that's one of the better groups in all of football. I think they got to continue to ride them, impose their will, hope people start to creep up to the line of scrimmage, and then that can make Alshon Jeffrey and maybe Matt Collins or some other receivers a little bit more of a threat down the field. They've kicked the tires on receiver Jordan Matthews, who was with the Eagles at one point in the past. He's not exactly going to be the deep threat that they need. You know, I'd be tempted to call Torrey Smith, who's available, and bring him in for a workout and see if he can run. Yeah, right? that's, that's a good thought. Right. Because there's just there's nothing else out there right now. And Smith at least knows your system and you could put him out there and you could have him try to stretch the field. But it's just a shame that it worked out this way for the Eagles and for Deshaun Jackson that the the injury couldn't be rehabbed without surgery. And from the Eagles perspective, it would have been a lot better if the surgery would have been done back in week two or week three. All right. The 
Cleveland Browns are getting help in the backfield in the form of Kareem Hunt. He was the NFL's leading rusher in 2017 as a rookie with the Chiefs. Cut by the Chiefs last year after that video emerged in late November of Hunt shoving and kicking a woman outside of an apartment he was renting at a Cleveland hotel. The Chiefs cut him because he had told the Chiefs he didn't even leave his apartment. Well, the video showed he did. The league suspended him eight games. Now he's free and clear to return, Chris. And I don't know what he's going to do for the Browns. I mean, there's still only one football. Nick Chubb is a great running back. You put Kareem out there, Kareem Hunt out there, and, uh, you know, you have to worry about even fewer opportunities for the guys who may sound off if they don't get opportunities, and I'm specifically talking about Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, they're having a hard enough time getting the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, let it go to another guy involved in the offense here. I think the biggest thing that he'll do more, more than anything is take a little wear and tear off of Nick Chubb. You know, the, the only other guy they really have that can come in and carry the ball is what Dontrell Hilliard, right? So Kareem Hunt, clearly more talented than them. The other aspect I think that you might see is both of the guys on the field at the same time, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, where, hey, Kareem Hunt, you could throw him out at slot receiver. He can do that type of stuff like an Alvin Kamara or that type of running back who can really run routes. He did that for Andy Reid and company in Kansas City. So not crazy that way, but I I think more than anything, it's just going to give them a two-headed monster, especially in the run game. They're they're a good running football team. I mean, they've shown throughout the year that their, their old line is capable of, of being pretty good run blockers. And I think, that, again, I'm big of them as staying, staying through the run. That's what made them successful at the end of last year as well. And this could just be another guy, Nick Chubb, more the power, straight-ahead guy. Now you got a guy like Kareem Hunt who's a little shiftier, you know, maybe wants to bounce it outside and do things like that more to where it gives the defense a different look and puts a little bit of different stress on them. Chubb's averaging just over 100 yards per game He's rushing. You mentioned Hilliard. He's got 49 yards rushing. He's got fewer than Baker Mayfield. So they have used Hilliard right. sparingly, and it very well could be that Chubb gets used less down the stretch. But the bottom line is you introduce a new personality, a new skill set, a new weapon into the offense. It's necessarily going to diminish, on average, the extent to which we see the others, and that's not good news for Odell Beckham Junior. All right, last topic before the Cole Beasley interview. And this issue came up earlier in the week with the idea that the Chargers could move to London. That's BS. That's bogus. Dean Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, used much more colorful language and profane language than that. But, you know, Chris, it got Peter King and I to talking a little bit about this yesterday. I want to get your perspective as a guy who played. Um, the idea of moving to London, living in London, playing in London – the road trip becomes three weeks at a time because it's not just going to be you leave on Saturday, you come back Sunday night. It's going to be you go to the United States for multiple games. Your family's uprooted. There's exchange rate issues. There's yeah. tax issues. Everything is different culturally. What a shock. And you're in your early 20s. I, I don't think players are going to want to play in London on a full-time basis if they move a team there. I, I don't think so either. And, hey, I, I mean, I would love to live in London. I mean, we know it's one of the great cities of the world, but – uh, as far as pulling off the logistics of that, that still does seem extremely difficult to me. You're right. The exchange rate, there is an issue there. Uh, and then the other thing, you know, you kind of hit it there at the end. You know, I, I just don't know how comfortable players are going to feel, you know, if they grew up in 
West Texas or, or, you know, Oklahoma or something like that. And they're that far away from, you know, Hey mom and dad, we got a game this week. You want to fly 12 hours to come see us or do that type of stuff. That's just going to be hard to pull off. And you know, it's one of the great joys players have of playing in the NFL is the fact that, Hey, my family can come and watch me and do those things. And uh, it's just easy for them. That, that, that complicates things in a lot of ways, you know, let alone, yeah, are you going to live there the whole off season? Do I need to get another house in the off season here in the States? Uh, how does that play off? Cause I don't think a lot of guys are going to want to stay in London, you know, all year long through and through, you know, for consecutive years in a row, you know, people are raised here, born here. They're going to want to be back here at some point. So there's a lot of issues there. And I just, I, I don't see it happening as, as much as I like the London games and think the London fans are ready for an NFL team. I think that ultimately what the London fans will get is eight games a year that are a variety pack, like the little cereal boxes where it's going to be different teams. It's not going to be one home team. I don't think it works logistically. And think about the the ultimate leverage you would have over a player on the teams in the United States. You just threaten to trade into London. Right. I remember Adam Gase used to threaten to trade players to Cleveland. Right. That was one of the things Jarvis Landry said earlier this year. Threaten to trade a guy to London. Talk about uprooting your life. My God. And I could see veteran free agent contracts with a no trade to London clause in them. Not just a blanket no trade clause, just you can't trade me to London. The mere fact that that would even be a consideration yeah, a shows how that it's just not. It's and, and, and again, nothing against London. We can't wait to visit. But for football players, yeah. that's the last thing they're going to want to do. And Peter King made a point yesterday as we were trying to figure out this whole Chargers report. At, at some point, if you're going to have one team, it does make sense to have two. You have a natural geographic rival. They've got Wembley Stadium and the Tottenham Stadium where two teams could play. And uh, But again, then you have two franchises with 53 guys each in London and all the coaches and all the support staff. It just... I just don't think it works. The NFL seems hell-bent on doing it, although I think part of it is, Chris, they like to create the impression they're hell-bent on doing it because that keeps the London fans engaged if they think there's a way that the dominoes fall that a team gets placed in London. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there at the end, and I don't know if we need to keep like dangling that in front of them. I think they're they're cool. I mean, I don't know. Is London, I would like to know, maybe this is something we should put out to all the people who watch our show when you say hello to all the people in the UK and all that. You know, do they really want a team or are they content with just like you said, eight, 10 games a year and that's cool enough? I mean, it just, it's still a soccer is king there. We know that. Let me tell you this, two things. First, there are plenty of fans of NFL franchises that would prefer to have a variety pack of games in lieu of the crap they have to see every Very week true. when they go to the Very stadium true. like Bengals fans. And, and the other thing is this. Sam Farmer, the LA Times, pointed this out. He was at the Rams-Bengals game in London a few weeks ago. And uh, when you look at the newspapers in London and you flip through the sports pages, there's no mention of the NFL. There you there's go. still... No traction. It's a niche proposition. Right. And there are some very ardent and intense NFL fans, and we appreciate those folks in the UK and in Ireland. But at the same time, it has yet to catch on the way they want it to. And maybe it will take putting a team there to get the people more serious about it, to make it something that is covered more than just some oddity. You know, kind of like here when you've got Manchester United and one of the other 
Premier League team that is playing in Charlotte. Okay, Liverpool. Yeah, they're playing in Charlotte. Do, do we really care about that? It really doesn't resonate the way that that people would like it to uh, from London, who are tied into the Premier League. So that's no, kind of well, the way a lot of times even if they the, fill the stadium, it doesn't resonate. Well, you're right. And a lot of times in those games, they don't even play their best players because it's like it's like a you know a hello wave to the you know the American fans type of tour. You know, at least the London. Oh, and- I, I went to one of those. Yeah. I, I saw I saw Lionel Messi sit, sit on, on his bench. ass for two hours. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, at least uh, when we return the favor to them, we're putting our best players on the field and doing all of that. But uh, the soccer's a long season. That's another discussion altogether. But yeah, I just don't know if it's feasible, Mike. I don't see how you could do it. Not fair competitively too to ask a team to go like have a West Coast trip and be away from home for three, four weeks in a row or whatever it may be. Uh, that that is going to be too tough and not fair for them. You know, as far as just wins. And losses as the season goes along. Yeah, I mean, think of how strange that will be. The talk has always been there would be an East Coast base of operations for the London team, where they would they would act that uh, that would be a separate headquarters where you'd be for three weeks at a time. Your road trips would be three, four games, and then you go back to London for three or four games. It just it doesn't make sense. There are so many issues, so many logistical problems. I don't like it. I understand why they talk about it, but I don't think it ever the, happens. The right? London gonna... Redcoats versus the New England Patriots would be a great matchup, though. I would really like that. That would be cool. Yeah, that that, that would be a, that would be a revenge game. Right. 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 Uh, right. Yeah. All right. Um, I can't think of a good transition, so let me just say this. Cole Beasley, Bills receiver, joined me by phone yesterday. We're going to play that for you now, and then Chris and I will say goodbye on the back end of the interview. Here's a brief conversation from Tuesday with Bills receiver Cole Beasley. All right, joining us now, a guy who is in his first season with the Buffalo Bills. He's receiver Cole Beasley. And I'm going to mention the plug right out of the gates, Cole, because it's rare that I do one of these that I actually own one of the things that we're plugging, the Polaris Ranger. There is one right below me where I'm sitting, parked in my garage. Tell me what you got going on with Polaris. I actually own own three of them, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, but I just I teamed up with, with Polaris Ranger to celebrate the best stories in Texas high school football. Um, Texas native, and I, I know a little bit about it, so um, I really wanted to get involved with that, and uh, we've also partnered with Dave Campbell's Texas Football to identify uh, five schools that are playing for more than wins and losses. Um, their stories have been captured in short videos as part of Polaris's Most Driven Team campaign, and anyone can go watch these on TexasFootball.com, um, and then they can vote for who they think is the most driven team. So um, it's pretty cool. They're, they'll have an opportunity to um, actually win their own vehicle um, and maybe uh, give them a little bit more motiv- motivation. And I noticed you're a Texas guy, born and raised, high school, college, Cowboys. You're going to have to put like a snow, pl- a snow plow and, sn- and snowmobile tracks on your Polaris pretty soon in Buffalo. Do you know what you're getting yourself into when you move to Western New York? Well, I didn't, I didn't, bring, them, I didn't bring the Polaris Rangers to, to Buffalo. I left them in Texas with my dad at my hunting ranch. Um, they get better use there, um, so they're not here, but... Um, I didn't even really, really think about the weather that much. It didn't really matter to me. Uh, I've played in cold games before. I've played in one that was like negative 13, I believe, in Chicago one year. So um, I've actually had some of my best games in the cold. So I really didn't worry about it too much. That wasn't really a factor. You've hit the Bills at a great time. The team is 6-2. and two. You've been on some good teams in the past in Dallas. What's your assessment of the biggest reason why the Bills are 6-2? and two? 
Um, I, I think they, they got a lot of a lot of talent for one. Um, and then we have a lot of young players that are hungry um, and want to win, man, and want to be the best. And, and when you're surrounded by a bunch of guys who all wanted to be the best, that's, that's usually what happens. So um, it's just fun going to work with these guys. And um, it's been a blast so far. And, um, you know, we, we really have a bond on this team that's um, not like anything I've ever been a part of. Maybe, maybe high school football was the last time in Texas when it was like this. I mean, there's so many things that can get in the way at this level. Um, with all the moving parts, but um, somehow here, you know, McDermott is, has done a great job of creating a real family environment, and um, we're always together. Um, there's always something going on. There's always something to do, so it's a really cool deal. You got one of the best fan bases in all of sports, the Bills Mafia. Give me your best story so far of something you've seen or heard from one of those Bills fans. Uh, probably the best story I have is when I arrived um, there were fans there with, with a bunch of wings um, waiting on me and, um, you know, people actually, they asked me if I actually ate them. I was like, of course I did. And they brought me <laughs> wings to the, to the airport and when I arrived, so naturally I'm going to eat them, you know, that's what they're for. So I want to let them go to waste, but, um, and also this past Sunday when I, when I jumped in the stands on the touchdown, I got, I probably smelled so much like like beer the entire game. It was awesome. You know, I had a blast uh, partying with them after my touchdown. That's a risky move. I always admire a guy that does that. You never know what's going to get grabbed once you jump into the stands. Do you have any hesitation about doing that? Man, when, when you're in the moment, dude, you don't even care. You don't even think about it. Um, <laughs> I spiked the ball, and then I saw the, the, the fans waving me over. They were having a good time. I wanted to have a good time with them. Um, your adrenaline's like through the roof when you score a touchdown. Um, I can't even explain. Uh, any other feeling that's that's similar to that so um, I had no hesitation at all I was, I was ready to um, get rowdy with them for a little bit you've made a great connection with Josh Allen you didn't have the benefit of the offseason program you had surgery you were recovering from how have you been able to click with him so quickly um, really it's just constant communication even when we're not on the field we're talking about it so um, you know we'll, we'll analyze the film and I have a lot of freedom in a lot of my routes, so communication is important. Like, what are you thinking here? What do you see there? And I just want to make sure that um, what I do is on the same page with what he what he's thinking at that time. So um, we just have to see the same thing, and, and a lot of that goes um, off the practice field in the meeting rooms as well. He's still new, and he's still raw, and you've had the benefit of playing with some guys like Tony Romo and Dak Prescott. How much have you been trying to help him understand how other quarterbacks have done things in an effort to bring him along and help his development as the starter? Um, you know, really, you don't, you don't talk about other guys because every quarterback is unique in their own way. Um, you know, really, all I can do is, is um, just be in the spot that I'm supposed to be in at all times and be as quarterback-friendly as possible um, and not, not get too crazy with the freedom that they've given me um, and just be exactly where he expects me to be uh, at all times. Because, I mean, if there's, there's a time that I'm not, then it's – um, then we start second-guessing down the road. So um, I just got to be as consistent as possible for him and, and play my best ball and get open. We all knew that the Cowboys would host the Bills this year. We knew that from the end of last season when the schedule's locked in. But when you saw Buffalo at Dallas Thanksgiving, what was your first thought? My first thought was I actually thought I was going to get a Thanksgiving, but I'm not. So that was really what I thought about. It had nothing to do with the game. Um, 
I was kind of excited to, to not play on Thanksgiving for once since we did it every year in Dallas, but um, looks like I'm going to be playing on Thanksgiving again. So those are really my thoughts. It had nothing to do with, with actually playing the Cowboys. I mean, short week football is short week football, and every team plays one of those games. Almost every team plays one of those games every year. Is there something that you've learned about playing on Thanksgiving that you're going to impart to your teammates so they'll be ready to go when the time comes to play that game? Um, not really. I mean, I mean, I don't know though. I, I've played on Thanksgiving every season, so it's like a normal, a normal thing, I guess. Um, but really, it's just like a normal game for me. Um, and that's that's what I'll tell them if if they ask. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure they'll approach it the same way. Doesn't matter if it's on Thanksgiving, Christmas, or, or you know any other day. You know, it's it's still a game. We're going there to win. Um, it makes it no different, you know, the team we play or, or whatever. You know, you just approach it the same way, and that's that's really how you have to do it. How conscious are you of the reality that from the outside looking in, the Cowboys are a team that's basically at the center of the NFL's universe, and it's the other 31 franchises trying to jockey for position. From your perspective, do you sense that? Do you feel that now that you're not with the Cowboys? Um, I don't know. Not really. Um, I mean, I know that they are, yes, but um, I don't know. It was never really something that I, that I really – cared about being a part of like being the center of the universe or anything like that um you know, I've never been a big like um I don't really, I don't even know what you call that but um, I don't really care much about being in, in the public like that you know I just I enjoy my teammates I enjoy playing football and I enjoy being with my family and that's that's pretty much it um so uh, as far as all the other stuff the the popularity and the publicity I I mean I could do without that I, I came here to play football and and come here for all that so all right hey great talking to you pal and uh all the best in the future all right thank you all right that's it for pftot on this wednesday chris thanks as always for hanging around thursday no pftot because it's the joint pftpm chris sims unbuttoned mega picks podcast i've caught you in the best bets and you know I've caught you in the best bets. And this week, I'm pulling ahead, Chris. I mean, I, I had a bad week of picks all together. I mean, straight up, I don't even want to look at my record. I know it wasn't good. I doubt yours was real good either. But I know my my week last week was an absolute disaster. So uh, I'm not looking forward to starting that show off and having to read the records and all that. But don't worry. A lot of time left. This is when I really focus in and hone in. This is playoff football time. The best people start to rise to the top once it comes November. I'm going to whoop your ass, Florio, these last eight weeks. You like that? All right. Well, tomorrow – no, I don't. Tomorrow we'll get the official results from week nine and get you ready for week ten. We have PFT Live before that, though, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern on radio, 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Chris, you're doing a – Chris Sims unbuttoned today, right? It's the What the Bleep Happened show. Yes, it is. It's yeah, – can I say that word? But, yes, what the hell they'll, happened? They'll bleep what it, the yeah. F happened? Yes, we're going to go through that on our podcast today. All right, we'll check that out later today. We'll do PFT Live and the joint mega podcast tomorrow. Everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll see you Thursday. Peace. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 